What's up, y'all? Welcome to Better on the Inside, a podcast about helping you and the church be better on the inside. My name is John. I'm your host, and I'm your digital pastor. Today, I have a great guest, Pastor Keith Meyer. Now, Pastor Keith, or Pasta Keith, as I like to call him, um, has been raising money to help survivors of SBC sexual abuse make it to the upcoming annual meeting in Louisiana. It's in New Orleans. And so he's trying to raise money to help them get there, to help pay for rooms, lodging, food, all the things that happen at the convention, because he wants to make sure that these survivors have their voices heard. And if you have not heard about the SBC report as it relates to abuse and survivors and all of those kinds of things, I highly recommend you check it out. But I will also put a link in that you can help donate to send these survivors to New Orleans because this is really, really important. This is a denomination that has a lot to deal with as it relates to survivors and abuse. And Keith is on the front lines trying to make it happen and trying to advocate for those who may not have feel like they have a voice or uh, have had their voices taken away from them. So please listen to my conversation with Keith and uh, consider donating. learn more about saving the earth and save some money while you're doing it use the code better in to buy my friend kyle meyer schkopf's book following jesus in a warming world where he really makes the case that creation care is an important part of discipleship if you buy the book from iv press that's ivpress.com and use the code better in you'll get a discount on the book for the next few days and it is absolutely worth reading It challenges all sorts of perspectives. Even if you don't find yourself to be an environmentalist, it is absolutely worth reading this book and just understand how creation care is a part of Jesus' vision for following him. What's up, y'all? Welcome to Better on the Inside. I am here with my friend Keith Meyer, otherwise known as Pasta Keith. How are you? I'm doing good. A little little tired from traveling back from... California, but uh, but glad to be here and uh, and excited to uh, to to talk today. Yeah. Now, my dude Keith is a lot of things. One of them right now is a rebel outlaw Twitter user uh, whose account was banned. Your account was banned. You're like Robin Hood, right? Against Sher- Sheriff of Nottingham. Uh, your account was banned for like unclear reasons. Is that fair to say? Well, I'll tell you what I think happened. Um, on on Easter Sunday, um, I I had made a comment to a friend and a bunch of. Have you ever have you ever said a phrase or used a word and like some bot bots will show up and start yes. talking to you? Well, I started repeatedly talking back to these accounts and saying. You know, I don't need you to help me with this, but what I would really love for you to do is to donate to this fundraiser. Mm. And I think that the algorithm flagged me and knocked me off. Um, So, yeah, I I, I really don't know what happened, but three days after Easter, my account was disabled. And antagonizing the bots. But here's the good news. You are in a amazing project of fundraising to help survivors get to New Orleans, uh, survivors to the SBC convention in New Orleans. Um, That's right. Which is huge. And you're a pastor within the convention. And so I you am. have all, all of those kinds of things. 
what and so i'm gonna make sure we post a link to that what kind of got you started in this kind of work um it's it's i'll try to explain this in a way that's not too long a, a way around but um you know over the years uh, i've been i've been pastoring at the church i'm at right now for 16 years came here when my kids were little and um you know got four boys three out of the house one still home um and so been here a while and you know my wife and i have um there's there's like public ministry you know this and then there's mm -hmm. what you do outside of the pulpit talking with people talking about lives and throughout the years there's probably been five or six situations some of them with church members some of them with things that people brought when they came to church but none of them none of them involving any ministry leaders or you know uh, situations that that came about at our church but people coming and saying hey I'm in a really bad situation and, and realizing and coming to terms that, Hey, this is an abusive situation or it's mm -hmm. a situation where, where somebody's endured horrific sexual abuse and being able to work with these folks and just see their lives changed and transformed, you know, see them, see them come to wholeness, recover their identity, yeah. begin to um, recover their, their voice again. And so in, in um, right near the end of 2020, yeah, like after the election, Facebook just felt really sensitive and touchy. And I said, mm -hmm. I just, I'm going to go look around. And I jumped on Twitter and all of a sudden I discovered Southern Baptists are on Twitter. That was a shock. Mm. Yeah. And then... <laughs> And then I realized we're in the middle of this national controversy about how we're going to address sex abuse. And I start to hear that there are people who don't think that we should address it, or there are people who are opposed to it, or there are people who are, you know, just constantly problematizing and making the issue much more complex than it needs to be. And, and I just felt based on my own pastoral experience, this should be a no brainer, you know, like mm -hmm. we should, we should be helping and supporting people making our churches as safe as possible for the most vulnerable among us. And that, that was, it was just, it was just absolutely astounding to me that yeah. this, this was what was happening. And so I just, I just started tweeting about it and talking about it. Um, and uh, yeah. And, 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 and so in terms of uh, after the, the vote in Nashville to investigate the SBC, we, um, a friend and I went to our state convention and we asked that our state put together a task force to make sure that all of our churches have got uh, protection systems in place. Yeah. And I've been serving on that for a year and a half. And um, then, you know, I went to the meeting in Anaheim and I've, I've met a lot of the people that I'm just talking to on Twitter. And so it just kind of, I don't know, in, in a way it, it was like, it, I think anger over what should be i think should be relatively simple but also just feeling like you know there there need to be people willing to engage and yeah. uh and it's something that my wife and i were already passionate about locally yeah so yeah. well yeah. and being involved in that work you're familiar with it um but i know that as somebody who's been on twitter um <clears throat> you almost came into it a little naive of like Oh, okay, we're going to do the right thing because this has come out, right? Like we're in the yeah. middle of this 
sex and uh our the houston chronicle i believe it was our paper ran the article and the investigation of the thousands of pastors that had been accused and then there came a list and there came all these things and the response to it was so odd in that uh, what i mean is that a lot of people like were just absolutely shocked and i think that's probably people's first reaction but to your point, there were some people who were like, ah, do we really need to investigate? And so I can imagine that you coming on Twitter from inside the organization and being like, whoa, 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 what are we talking about here? And yeah. then jumping into action like that would kind of get a holy discontent within you, a righteous anger to to work on this. Yeah, it um, it's difficult because I think that I think that one of the foundational tragedies that that's involved in all kinds of abuse cases is that there's our our justice system is not good at um at prosecuting assaults and these kinds of things we, we're just not it's not good and so like i think i think that 97 percent of people who experience a sexual assault that that, that nothing will ever be done with wow. with their case and so it's just three percent and Ooh. so you know, there's a sense in which we're we're operating with with ongoing tragedy in in, in progress, and so there are people who've been it hurt in tremendous ways that like it's not clear how to fix those problems, and there are people yeah. who who you just think organizationally speaking, them getting just it just may never happen because it the organization's huge you know, the, the law enforcement implications, but, but for me, the, the, um, the, the, the major burden has been, how do you drive reform in local churches? Because so often what we hear is, um, people knew that something was up or they thought that something was off. They didn't feel, they had a weird feeling about something, but they didn't speak up or act or yeah. something happened and they, you know, a leader was unwilling to report to the police mm. and, and, and just, you know, build, build local church community and culture that doesn't allow people to, to, to harm the vulnerable and then be ready for when something goes wrong. Like, who are you going to call? What are you yeah. going to do? And are your leaders ready? Um, you gotta, you gotta be ready. So that's really been the passion and, um, Along the way, somebody reached out to me this year and said, "Hey, you know, in in prior to the meeting in Anaheim in 2022, we put together a collection. Would you be willing to, um, you know, would you be willing to spearhead this out on Twitter, just or, or just in general? You know, would you go out there?" And uh, man, we've raised the goal twice. We started. We were looking at 8,700 bucks, um, and now we're, you know, then we moved it up to 12, and we hit the 12, and we're, we're slowing down a little bit. I think that's normal. Um, but we're trying to get to 18,000 cause we're, um, we're, we're trying to get everybody who has stepped forward and said they want some help. You know, we're trying to get them a flight, trying to get them transport from the airport, uh, trying to get them a hotel room for the time they're there and then, and then cover their food. Um, it's not cheap. I think it costs, yeah. it'll, it'll cost $2,700 for me to go to the convention. Wow. So, like it's, it's not cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. and so, man, that is such a good goal to have people because part of what I think, and I've, I'm in the process of reading redeeming power 
um, Diane Langberg's book about okay. uh, power yeah. dynamics and things like that. And one of the things that she talked about is the idea of restoring the voice of the victim mm-hmm. of, of uh, not just pursuing like punitive justice, which obviously like justice is part of what we're looking for and not punitive necessarily, but justice. Um, but part of it is allowing the the victims and, and people who have been affected by this to tell their story That's and right. to tell the truth and to allow allow them to say it in their voice is significant. Yeah, I um one of the one of the things that I've I've I don't like to use that there are a lot of terms out on Twitter. There's a Twitter's got its own language and its mm-hmm. own format and if you try to do yeah. the stuff that this is gosh i'm gonna, i feel like i'm going to ramble here but if you try to do the stuff that happens and is funny or is is like effective in communicating on twitter if you try to do that on another form of social media it doesn't work but right um you know there's just all these like there's these patterns and um but i noticed that there are people out there they you know they call themselves advocates or they're allies or they're sp- spokespersons or activists and i'm like i don't i i think one of the things that we can do particularly for the survivor community that's that's willing to you know still connect with the sbc and there are people who won't and i understand and respect that they've been burned i'm not going to show up in their dms and be like i'm a pastor and you need to do this like that's they've they've met people like that before who didn't respect them and who didn't let them have their, their freedom. But I just like, I'm not going to apply any terms to myself. I'm just gonna, I'm going to say, Hey, if I can help you, I'm gonna try to help you. But then when you're at the convention, you're, you're free, you know, like there's no expectations on you, no strings. You talk to who you want to talk, you go where you want to go, you do what you want to do. Um, and, uh, because really it's about giving them the ability to connect with who they need to talk to. There's a ton yeah. of press that shows up. I mean, a ton of religious reporters show up. And and so there's opportunities for interviews. Last year, um, there was a, a filmmaker who came and who did a bunch of interviews with different people who wow. came. So there, there's it's just, you know, make use of the convention um, yeah. for what, what you can. Well, part of what I love about you, though, Keith, that uh, has kept me following you on Twitter before this and will as long as you're on Twitter I'll follow you is that awesome. one you have a very funny sense of humor you are very funny um and in a dry east coasty kind of way okay. um it like just uh, a just a funny dry humor and two I love that you're not like I don't care about the terms I just want to do what's right by the survivors yeah and so you're not going I'm an advocate for X you're just like I'm gonna raise money and do what's right um, because that's what a pastor should do. You know, you know, I, um, I think, you know, I've led organizational change in an associational church of an association of churches, and I've led organizational change in a s- relatively small 125 member local church. And those things, those were difficult. I, I don't think there's an expert out there who knows how to drive change in a denomination like the Southern Baptist convention, it's, it's mm. 50,000 churches. It's vast. Yeah. Like yeah, no one knows what they're doing here. Mm. And I don't mean that in a, like they're idiots way. I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's 
fraught and complicated and there's history and personalities. And um, so in, in part, like, I think the best that we can do is to try to get people communicating and talking to stay humble in terms of learning. Um, You know, the, the thing with humor is like, I've, I've told a couple people before who are like, what's up with your Twitter account? And I'm like, I want to like, I'm deadly serious about this, Mm -hmm. but that's like, it can only be like 10% of what I do. Cause it'll, it'll drive me crazy. You know? Yeah you can't you can't drive change fast enough so Mm. man like as i just i'd lean into goofy and weird and bizarre and um you know because because i I think like you've got to keep it light uh otherwise otherwise you'll you'll just you'll overwhelm yourself so yeah well i suspect you're i suspect you're not doing it for this reason but this is one of the things that it does is it makes you a very real person. Um, you're, it's clear you're not just some guy who's who's a, a very worthy cause, but you're not just promoting your cause, even though it's right. a worthy cause. You're just, I'm Keith, like I'm a guy. Like, yeah, it, there's an accessibility and an honesty and an authenticity to it that, that I think allows people to connect in a different way versus... Uh, an entity with an agenda, right? Like a branding thing. You're not a brand of like, yeah. this is Pastor Keith TM. Like, in, although I think you might have used that as a joke at some point on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah like, uh, but um, you're not a brand. You're very much a person. And that is inspiring to all, us pastors and to other people, I imagine. You know, what's what's interesting. Um, and I know, I, I know that, um, Christian Twitter as a whole has a wide variety of theologies represented, but I think that Mm -hmm. the medium where we, you and I connect and the medium where a lot of people connect Twitter, like no matter what your theology is, the technology of Twitter is is effectively egalitarian, right? Like there, there are, there's no authority structures, right? There's Elon at the top Mm. calling the shots then there's the algorithm that says you're banned or you're not banned. Yeah. The programmers who apparently can't do anything when you get banned. And then there's yeah. all of us. And we we exist at the pleasure of the powers that be. But, mm. but you cannot come on Twitter, I think, and say you must believe these things and yeah. and create real community. I think that you need to draw in instead of instead of hammering and right. I, I don't know. I've found it. I've just, I've just found there are so many people who are, who are willing to contribute and help and engage. And, and, you know, um, I got, I got my last account up to the point where I would be like, Hey, you know, does anybody ever read a paper on this subject? And I get, yeah. I get like 10 suggestions or, you know, I'd ask about books or about car repair or, yeah, because when you draw in this wide range of people, and suddenly you have this community, and I, I don't know, I feel like authority. I want to be super careful about the way I say this. I think we have to be we have to be concerned with truth, and 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 we ought to there ought to we ought to have standards as far as things that we're we're passionate about and what we're pushing. You know, we want to live in a a world that's good and true and beautiful, but. 
the medium de- determines in how we act in some ways. And so like, I want people, yeah. I want people to, um, to see and enjoy uh, the accomplishments of my children. You know, mm-hmm. I want them to run across my account and be either amused or to feel some sense of not, not like um, heavy conviction, but like a, yeah, I agree with that. Um, because in a case like this fundraiser, you know, like people, people are like, yeah, let's support this because they, they, they know that this is a, it's a community effort. That's, that's so I just, I think we need to be so careful about the brands that we, we build and man, we've all run into these accounts. It's like, you just, you know, that they woke up and they thought like, I'm going to go on Twitter. They, I'm going to make people miserable. Like mm. that's all that they do. And, and man, nobody likes that. So like, why would I do mm. that with my time? You yeah. know, I'm just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And yeah. you don't have a lot of extra time anyway. So it's not like right. you want to spend it making people miserable. Right. Uh, one of the questions that I know people have been asking that I think is a really a good one. They've been asking about, okay, so what are the takeaways from this and how do we get better? Right. So the, the, the SBC has all of these, you know, um, assaults, abuse, and then there's also some cover-ups on top of that and, and not everywhere, but in some spots. And so, uh, what, as you've been looking locally, how to, you know, teaching churches, how to put in place best practices for this not to happen. What have you learned in that process for churches? Um, are you talking about like what, what it is that yeah. churches need to do? Yes. Yeah. What yeah. do churches need to do to kind of abuse, uh, to look out for it and to create, uh, an environment where abuse is less likely to happen? Well, I think that, um, you know, uh, what I've been recommending a lot of people do, honestly, is if I say if they've got Netflix, they should go and watch the Athlete A documentary and go and look mm-hmm. at an enormous, powerful, respected structure, the USA Gymnastics, yeah. and how how because of the glory that that brought to the United States, right, because of the 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 power and the position what were what were what were people willing to endure and to cover up in order to 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 um preserve us gymnastics wow. and 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 look at what it took right and now realize that there are lots of organizations where there's a tremendous amount of power and prestige and finances invested and there's traditions and people want to protect that and that means that people you know you you may have a you may have a, um, I think there's this this illusion that um, that there are good churches and then there are churches full of evil people, right? Mm. And I, I think that I think that what what's true is um, people who are predatory tend to surround themselves with good people who will protect them, and so like trust, learn to trust your gut when you see people doing things that 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 feel contrary to the rules and contrary to common sense but you're letting someone get away with that because they're powerful they're important right yeah. and so like yeah. you we we we've said um you need to within our state right so after you watch athlete a and you realize like hey this could happen in in our church or in a in a in a you know in a business organization um 
we're telling our churches that we want them to to train, right? So you you train your workers, you teach them about grooming behaviors, you teach them um, how to spot abuse, um, you you screen, right? So background checks, but background checks are of limited value. Ninety percent of people they say who are predatory don't show up on a background check, but wow. you, you have the background check in place because it it shows that you're doing due diligence. And there are people who will choose to go somewhere else because lots of churches don't background check. They just, they yeah. don't. And so if, if somebody, if, if there is a possibility that someone will get flagged, they'll say, ah, you know, and off they'll go. So then you, then we, we, um, yeah, so it's uh, screen. We say protect, which is you have to have a set of policies in place in your church that prioritize protecting the vulnerable. And so at our church, Right. I'll, I'll do I'll go through some standards and then I want to talk about um, my friend Allie, who took over running our nursery. Um, so we do the like doors open. We do too deep. Um, you know, we do uh, no never alone rule. You know, mm. so no adult mm-hmm. is ever alone. Um, and then in our nursery. Right. We turned over our nursery to this young mom in our church and she read our policy and came back and said, Hey, I want to change the policy. And I said, what's up with that? Like, explain this to me. And, and the rule that she had put in place was that nursery workers ask children permission to do things. Um, Can I change your diaper? Mm. Allie's policy is if a child says, no, you call their parents because she, her conviction is you are in control of your body from the moment you know, that you're born whenever yeah. you are in this church, you're in control of yourself. And I'm like, I was initially not for this. You know, she sat there and she explained it to me and I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Mm. Teach them, teach them that they're in charge. Now, if, yeah. a, if a kid pulls an entire cabinet of toys or books on themselves, we're not going to be like, can sure. I rescue you? But, sure. but when it comes to comfort and personal space, you know, we're going to let our, we're going to let those kids call the shots. And, and yeah. no parent has ever complained about having to go change your kid's diaper. So, yeah. Um, well, that's just common. Know. That's common sense yeah. autonomy. And I think it's a good, first of all, that you were willing to listen to a parent who's telling you something that you're like, well, I don't know about that. And then you listen and you go, oh, I get it. Okay. That makes total right. sense. Right. Which is right. a lot of times that's what we need to do. Folks that are in charge to be able to just go, okay, I'm going to listen and understand what this thing is. Yeah. But the second part that you talk about is I think some of some critics of making some of these choices often will be like, well, it's a slippery slope and what are we going to do with blah, blah, blah. And now we have all these rules and da, 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 da. Well, this is just a common sense bodily autonomy rule that, that parents are ultimately responsible for of your kid yeah. doesn't said no to a diaper change. So come and change their diaper like that. That is so common sense and simple to your point of like, if a kid's in danger, we're going to help the kid. Like it's not a, it's not this draconian, like if you don't do this and whatever. I, I think that, I think that the main opposition that we've run into, and I think most people run into with instituting policies is that people resist because they feel they're uncomfortable because they're different. And it's like, mm. well, I've never heard this before. Well, you know what? You can hear something for the first time and it, it be right. You know what I mean? It could yeah. be a good idea. Um, and, uh, and so, 
Yeah, so we do we do protect the, the the reason that we were so pushy and insistent about the policy piece is that people who want access to people, you know, people who want unsupervised time, they want to be able to develop these these uh, predatory relationships. They don't like rules that get in their way, and so you have to have sets of rules. Like, hey, at our church, right, we only communicate using um you know the software platform we are are, within our youth group we do not use instagram messenger facebook messenger text messaging and people who 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 see that as a problem and want to push against those rules who don't like never alone who don't like you know um too deep rule they will try to get around those rules and if everybody knows those are the rules then you're kicking those people out of your ministry and and i think in in some sense, we need to be content to let our ministries grow at the speed of safety and not at Ooh. the speed of need, because Ooh. the demand for volunteers means we often will lower our standards, won't it? Like we'll mm. lower our standards to funnel. So you can't grow faster than you can protect your people. And I think that's the difference between running a store like you know, where you're just, you're just putting ice cream in cones and, and being a shepherd of people. Dang. That, that'll preach right there. You, you grow at the safety of speed, not at the safety of, you know, convenience or, or need. Yeah. yeah. Right. Is what you talked about. That's incredible. And I, the other, the part of what you're talking about that I think is so helpful is I think some people kind of carry a well it couldn't happen here kind of thing and so preparing Mm -hmm. for it somehow says that we're bad people um versus the idea that's really the opposite of preparing for it shows that your heart is in the right place to protect from the kind of people that will take advantage of these yeah i had a i had a mentor who i was getting up on sunday morning this has got to be like back in 2000 2003 like i'm getting up to make announcements in church and um as something was happening at the pulpit we were standing just a couple feet away and he turned me and pointed me out to the congregation he said i need you to know that a third of these women in this building have disclosed abuse to me Mm. and i i was like wait what you know i mean i was i was new and to this world and i grew up in a very sheltered environment, good family, like, you know, uh, uh, I had no idea any of this stuff happened. Right. And so, you know, being ready, like him, him saying, you have to be ready to believe people when they tell you what happened to them and not discount it. Um, you know, you, it breaks through that, that could never happen here. Um, so let me, let me say to the two other things, um, yeah, I please. think that um, so after policies, uh, tra- um, report is essential. You have to be ready to make a report. You need to know what your local laws are. If if your local state has like a, a clergy penitent privilege, you have to understand like you have to know what a privileged conversation is. And mm. um, one of the things that I've done for years is I've said I say to people, uh, when they come in and they say, I can talk to you about something, right? And I'll say, well, yeah, of course, you know, but if you're a threat to yourself, someone else, or to national security, you know, 
And a lot of times they laugh at the national security thing. They're like, ha ha ha. And I'm like, well, I'm good now. Go ahead, talk. Mm -hmm. And like, if you tell me that you're harming somebody, you didn't have any expectation I was going to keep that private. Um, And so, so, but you got to be ready. What do you report? When do you report? Who do you report to locally? We have a, um, we have what's called the child advocacy center where it's, it's a special place. And often if you just dial 911, they won't handle intake and interview sure. properly. And so you just got to, you got to know what you're going to do. I believe that churches often make a mistake when, um, when you go and you say, there's an issue with our pastor, the walls and the protective protection come up. But if you, if you go to the leaders, right now, you, you honestly, people should report prior. They should report and then go to the leaders and say, here's the situation. And so I reported it. And then you tell them who it is. Don't like lay out the exact situation. Mm. Say, this is what happened. And I reported it and everyone will say, good for you. Like, good. And then it's like, okay, give us the damage. Who was it? Yeah. You know? And then, because because otherwise we, we, we tend to protect personalities and power. Dang. That's a great you know? concept though. That's this great. is why I think, I think that I understand why some pastors know what people in their church give. But I know that I know that if I know that I will rank order people and prioritize them, I just know myself. I don't want to know what you give, you know, like it's just that's just human nature. And then finally, uh, care, like knowing knowing about um, agency and voice and knowing about how long it takes people to disclose and knowing about the effects of trauma and what um, we ran. a uh, We had a seminar. Um, at one of our training events, um, a counselor, her name is Eliza Huey. She was there and she, I think her thing was, um, if, if, if she was writing her seminar title on Twitter, it would be like, you know, the uh, panic at the disco meme that people do. It would be triggered in the church pew. That was her thing. (laughs) And it was, it was like identifying the like if you've ever had an interaction with somebody and their reactions to you are completely odd and you're like i don't understand what's happening here eliza was t- telling us like you've got somebody who's having a trauma maybe they're they're having a trauma reaction and you've got to slow down and ask them questions what's going on like talk to me tell me i trust me you're safe um and so care is like get people to the right resources. Don't just open the Bible and say, well, you know, forgive this person and move mm. on and, you know, work with them. So those are kind of the five big elements that we're working on in, in Maryland and Delaware. So yeah, getting churches are, up to speed there. Those are really good and really helpful. And I think if churches put those in place, a lot of the abuse would go away. Um, you know, it, I, no, no system is perfect, certainly. But the mindset, uh, the actual change of that would would eliminate a lot of abuse from our churches. And those are steps that it's every church can take. Like that it doesn't sound like it's way over the top or cost prohibitive or anything like that. It seems pretty universal yeah. in its application. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think that you, you certainly, you know, um, the more the more intentional you are, the more um, you're going to make it a, di- a difficult environment for people to get away with bad behavior. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, yeah, the, 
the, the, the reason why I feel, I think this should be a priority for every pastor because so many folks that I've encountered who have said, well, Hey, you know, here's my, here's my abusive past. Their faith is shattered. Like their Mm -hmm. faith is destroyed. And if your job as a pastor is to shepherd people into a relationship with Jesus, like if, if that's what, if we proclaim the gospel that like the only power that saves is the name of Jesus, like, and then we, we allow someone to suffer an experience due to negligence that destroys their faith. You know, we, we, mm. we, we've, we've done the most hard, we've allowed the most horrible thing to happen to them. So I, yeah. I just, I feel like safety, safety is, is ground one, you know, mm. and for the, for the, for the crowd that feels like there's a, there's a crowd out there. I think that feels like it's, all this talk about protection and trauma and safe spaces and stuff. It's like too like snowflakey or like Mm -hmm, soft. mm -hmm. Right. It's like um, an illustration that a friend of mine shared with, he said, do you know what, do you know that like killer whales protect their own? Like, does that feel soft to you? He's like Mm. bears protecting their cubs. Like they will, they will, they will rip you into a bloody pulp. Like yeah, there (laughs) there's, there's no, beta or weakness or softness there like that's be a protector if if our if if the theological persuasion that you come from is men are supposed to have authority and be protectors well like man do it protect them like build a a church that protects people and not just one that has an authority structure in it wow anyway that's a different rant whoo man you're cooking though (laughs) keith you're cooking what what's a surprising thing that people might not know about like survivors or what's happening in the SBC or the response? What's something that you think people would love to know about what's going on with that? Um, uh, I think that, um, man, I don't, I don't, I think that, what I would say is I think there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people who want things to get better and they don't, they, they don't know how to fix it. Mm -hmm. I don't think they, they don't, they don't know what to do. And uh, my encouragement is do something like do something. Mm. First of all, like if particularly for pastors, you know, like get your own church in order, like make sure that you train your people and like, get things going so that if you then begin to speak out or work or network, like you've got credibility, you know, within um, it's not just like the latest thing that you're talking about. Um, I, I think that, um, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to encapsulate this idea that the, the SBC is it's, so complicated and also so huge um, that that change is is slow and um, but I don't want that to sound like an excuse I don't I don't think that I don't think that we should be making excuses I also think that when we accomplish things I don't think we should necessarily be taking victory laps yeah. um, because there's been there's been a lot of pain and a lot of damage and there's been 
there were several years of just resisting the idea that that there was trouble. Um, I think, I guess if I, if I would say what's something that's surprising, I would say this, and I don't want this to sound like, Oh, poor pastors, poor SBC pastors. But I think, I think that it's possible that there are people who are having a really hard time discovering um, some of the things that have been done in the name of the organization. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, when I when I first joined the F- FBC or SBC in the early 2000s, I went to New York City. A guy by the name of Gary Frost was leading the the, the New York City Association. Um, uh, and, and he was the, he was the person who in the, in 1995, when the SBC formally got around in 1995 to apologizing for slavery, Gary was the one who got up and responded to that as, Mm. as an African-American Southern Baptist, he spoke. And, uh, and as a young man, you know, considering going into the SBC, I said, like, what about the whole slavery thing, Gary? You know, and he was like, we've put that behind us. You know, we've moved yeah. on. Um, and so you kind of feel like, okay, you know, like we're a we're a we're a conservative Orthodox denomination that's forsaken its roots. And then you you start learning about these cover-ups and mm. and all the things, and you you hear the stories, and man, some survivor stories, like they're bad. But then you dig into the details, like beyond the reporting, if they share and talk to you about them, and they're worse sometimes than what's been reported, the, the level yeah. of tragedies there. And I think it's traumatic for mm-hmm. some leaders. And I think that they either they either won't face it, or when they do face it, they just they don't know what to do. So uh, in part, I think this is this is where we need to be super humble and we need to listen yeah. um, and say, like, how do we change? How do we change our culture? What are our next steps? And there are lots of people out there I've found who want to see the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. They want to see it better on the inside, you know? And so yeah. like, if we listen and say, help us change, people will talk. But um, you know, I think there's this people have got to come to terms with with the fact that some things need to change. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, Keith, though, some of as, as I'm hearing you talk, some of the the scale of the SBC becomes a thing and the scale of the harm is almost beyond what we can fathom. Right. Like, yeah, as somebody, yeah. as somebody, you know, you're somebody who's talked with these survivors, like straightforward and, you, and then you get the details of what they're talking about and you're like, oh my God, like this is just, it, that is a level of trauma that you, in, you invite into your life when you work with survivors and when you work with people. And so I think it's a very astute point that you're making that for some people, it's a big sacrifice for like and it's not to belittle in any way what survivors have gone through, but it is a sacrifice for pastors to have to face it and to have to really wrestle with it. Well, I, I, I if I can, if I can clarify, I think that I'd agree. I agree with what you're saying. I think that there's like, you know, like 
there's something that happens when someone trains, say, to be an ER doctor, right? Mm. That they have to like mm. deaden themselves to certain things. And there's right. a like if 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 you you have to get to the point where you're just like, you know what, I'm going to discover things about people that I admire. You know, you're just going to be like, mm. oh, man, you know, like I was listening to this sermon by this guy the other day and people are going to be like, well, that's he's complicated, you know, and it's like, yeah, you just there are some people who can't abide that it's it's too much and they turn away. And, yeah. and I, I think that that's a that prevents us from from solving problems. But I also I think too that um it's like yeah there's like this we we are talking in the in the athlete a documentary the um the the lawyer who prosecuted Nasser he says you know that we're dealing with um it it it's there's this fundamental betrayal that mm. took place with these young women and um and I don't think a lot of I don't think a lot of pastors I mean I don't I don't want to say that. I think that I think that people who want to brush past this and move on to other things haven't really sat with the lifelong lingering damage that comes in yes. into people's lives when they're violated. Yes, that is a much better way of saying what I think I was trying to say. Yeah. Uh, and sacrifice is the wrong word for it. So thank you for correcting yeah. and, and getting it on the right track. But uh, yeah, yeah, keep going. Keep cooking. Yeah, there's there's um, I think that I, I um, I really I think there's a tendency Somebody in one of our one of our big state leaders meetings, he said, we need to remember that training is not a solution. You mm. know, training is not implementation. Training is not culture change. And, um, you know, I I think that we as a denomination, it, it's true. We're the largest. We've got the most missionaries out there. Our offerings are massive. We've got some of the hugest churches in the United States. But those legacies become liabilities when you're trying to fix things. You know, you've got reputations that cannot be tarnished. You know, there are heroes that their their legacies cannot be touched. And mm. and and I'm like, man, I do not have it in for anybody. I I bear I bear nobody ill will in any of this process. It's just like, how do we move on? How do we move from one culture? that's willing to ignore the cries of people who are asking for help to another. Um, Mm. And, you know, I, I don't know, but I think that there are some people who they just, they cannot abide that something bad happened at this church. Here's what's amazing, right? There's, there's a church um, that uh, it was, it was in the news, uh, Broadmoor church. And somebody came forward and spoke up and said, I was abused at this church and the leadership dug in and they looked and almost immediately they released a statement that's on their website to this day. It's on the very, if you scroll down, it says addressing our past. And they just, they said, we had issues, you know, it it was prior to our current pastor. We're facing them. We're dealing with them. We acknowledge them. There have been no negative criticisms of that church. Because they, mm. they just, they owned the past, you know, yeah. if something happens, 
if you try to bury it, that's worse than, yes. than just addressing it, you know, like try yeah. to just do the right thing. Yeah. The yeah. cover up is, is worse than the crime. I, I wouldn't say worse. The cover up certainly makes it worse. Yeah. Um, and in terms of consequences for your organization, but you touched on something that is so good of people's uh, resistance to grieving. And I think if you've been a survivor or you know a survivor, you understand the grief that comes with, uh, you know, being a survivor of abuse. And I think it's hard. I think people choose not to relate because you have to grieve uh, yeah. to your point. You, if you sit with it, it will change you. If you sit with it, it will impact your heart in a way that you, you couldn't have imagined. So the only defense is to not sit with it. The only defense is to keep it at arm's length so that it can't penetrate your defenses. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are, there are lots of situations places where when we look at in the in the old testament you know where god says you know that he loathes the festivals and he hates the offerings because the people mm. neglect justice um you know there are i think that there are, are 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 a vast number of situations that 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 applies to but when when something's happening and it's been done in the name of your organization or by one of your organization's entities. Um, you know, it just takes on a different level of, of, of importance, you know, where, where you say, no, somebody has to own this or pay attention. Um, and I, I've, I think that, I think that we can, I think that listening and sitting with and grieving with people can, it will eventually take on a thoughts and prayers kind of mm. a you know you know I, I do think it can take on that level of of inaction yeah. but i do think that i do think that listening is um i think it's step one you know stop sure. and get to know folks and uh and that's one of the things one of one of my friends who's going to the convention again this year she said when she went in birmingham and they, they had like a, a, the time is now event. Um, I forget what they called it, but it was basically like a protest rally out in front of the convention. And they were like, you know, we want our voices to be heard. She said there were people who were angry. They like cleared out of their path. They like steered their children away from them. People said rude things to them. But in Anaheim, you know, a couple years later, people were coming up to them and saying like, I'm so sorry for what's happened mm. or like, I'm so glad you're here. Or, you know, like we need you to be present. We need, we need you to be, to be speaking to us. And, yeah. and that has meant a lot to this individual that people are, are now like, I know you tell me like, mm. let's I want to talk to you. Like how, how, how are things going? Um, you know, but, but that eventually has to translate into action. So um, I do think, I do think that the most important move in the SBC right now, you know, we already voted for the database, the database is, mm -hmm. is happening, there'll be bumps and hiccups, but I think that the, the state conventions, there's 41 of them, um, 41 different state organizations, they have to own training their churches, 
you know, and, and mm. really figure out how do we get our churches to implement in Maryland and Delaware, we have 425 North Carolina has 4,000 churches. Wow. Like it's the scale That's of t- what they 10 have 10 times. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. But I do appreciate your inaction, like grief, like the, the thoughts and prayers, um, analogy is, is good of, it's not enough just to grieve the loss, right? Repentance is not just the change of mind. It's the taking the action on a new road. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every now and again, someone will like message me and say, oh, hey, you know, this thing happened, like this pastor from our state was rude or this public figure said something, you know, that was insensitive. And they're like, would you go tell, like, would you tell your friends that like, we don't think that way. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to, not going to go and tell them like, not all Southern Baptists think like that. Yeah. I'm like, get on, get on Twitter and tell that guy that he's being a jerk, you know, like, right. or, or, you know, like take a stand and demonstrate out in public that this is unacceptable. Go out to lunch and tell this guy, like explain to him why he's wrong about the way mm. you know, do something. Don't just, don't just go to the people who you think are offended and try to say, Oh, I'm not like that person. You know, yeah. I, I, yeah. Every now and again, someone will say, Oh, will you deliver a message? And I, I no, I will not. No, you, you, you give me something worth talking about and I'll go and I'll talk to some folks. Ooh. Oh yeah. brother, that is good. How, so people that are listening now are going to want to help. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I, I yeah. can't understand how they wouldn't be moved to this. So what are the ways that they can help? Um, well, I think that in terms of, of what's happening this summer in New Orleans, uh, I'm scrolling to the bottom of my notes here. Um, we are, we're trying to raise $18,000. That's going to get, um, I keep saying eight to nine people because there's some question about like whether a family member will be traveling with, with one or two people. Um, but you know, with nine people, um, traveling, we need $18,000. And, uh, and so right now, we're at uh, $14,365. Um, uh, yeah, 35 more bucks gets us to 80%. And um, yeah, you know, when I got banned, um, I just want to throw some names out there. And there's probably too, too many people to actually thank. But uh, uh, my friend Aaron, uh, Jameson, Emily Snook, Laura Clenda, uh, Lisa, Humphreys and uh Krista McKnight you know these are people who like yeah. they just kept the thing rolling and uh mm. what in, in the in the, like six days that I was banned from Twitter fifty three hundred dollars came in it was it was Let's like go Pastor Keith going in jail was like the greatest thing yeah. for this fundraiser <laughs> it was yeah I mean I keep I keep saying things like oh yeah I did a Twitter thread about that and I'm like oh yeah that yeah. account is dead I can't see any of that stuff anymore um, right. but it was I, I like, all right, it's worth it. Um, so, you know, any, any, any gift counts. I know that people are super excited when I, like a $500 gift rolls in, but like 25 bucks, man, it, it goes a long way. Yeah. Um, so I think if you've got listeners who are Southern Baptists, if anybody is affiliated with the Southern Baptist church, um, go to the convention, you know, and um, they're, you know, kind of track along with what the discussions are on Twitter about what's happening at the annual meeting and then go yeah. and, and vote. 
messengers make a difference. They really do. Um, mm. And then I, I, I think really the best way to help is to turn back into your local church and focus on safety. There are a lot of pastors in smaller churches. They either don't have the bandwidth or the understanding. And if a, if a mom or a dad, you know, you know, were to come along and say, I want to shoulder this burden. Like I'll work this project. Um, that would make all the difference in, in getting something implemented in a local church. That's one of the things that we're, our task force, we're here in Maryland and Delaware, we're focused on now is we want to find, um, we want to find parents in churches who are passionate about this and who will go to a pastor and say, like, clear the way and I will, I will implement because, yeah. because a lot of our pastors are overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful, Keith. So what I'll do is we'll make sure that we share the link with everybody so that awesome. they can donate. And if you're in an SBC church, like you said, be a messenger, go to convention and vote. Uh, the other things that you can do is do it in your non-SBC church. This is stuff that's that right. as a as a person, whether you're a parent or not, but parents are very powerful advocates for this. Um, you can step up and lead the change in your church to make sure that it's a safe place for all people. Um, can, I, can I say one more thing about... Um, please. There's this, there's this, uh, like before memes were pictures, right? Memes were ideas. Yeah. It was just, yeah. the, uh, there's a, there's a, uh, like burn the SBC thing down that happens mm. on, on Twitter every, it's, it's not as like, it's, it's no, it actually shows up. I think more than like the David and Bathsheba thing, like what we're, yeah. you know, or like the leggings or pumpkin yep. spice latte yep. season. Yep. Um, people are like burn the SBC down, you know? Um, and, and my attitude towards that is like, I, I do understand that. I understand the desire to erase an institution that was founded to defend, uh, pain and abuse and, and which has also perpetrated some, some horrible things. But I, I think this, the SBC is vast, like, billions of dollars in, in, in giving and massive churches. There's 51,000 churches in the United States affiliated with the, the Southern Baptist convention. Like you want that organization to change. You, mm. you want it to change. Like it will be to the benefit of all. And that's not an excuse to like, keep it yeah. going. It's just, it will exist. And there are people who act like it's going to fade away and, five years it'll be irrelevant this thing's been going since 1845 like it will run it's even if even if catastrophic things happen right now i think it's got another 25 to 50 years in it you want that organization to change and and as the sbc changes um, i think it affects it affects a lot of other denominations smaller baptist yeah. denominations it affects the pca like you want it. Mm -hmm. You want to see culture shift. You want you want it to bubble up in the SBC. That's my yeah. belief, at least. Um, and I don't I don't offer that as a defense. It's like you change this demographic and things can change. So, yeah. Well, hey, in this, Keith, you and I are kindred spirits, man, because so much of the genesis of this podcast came from the idea of like, well, we got to burn the church down. It's just too bad, right? It's just so many things have happened or, 
you know, th- it's this and it's this and it's greedy and there's racism and there's sexism and there's, you know, homophobia. There's all these things. And a lot of people are just like, let's leave it behind. Let's leave it behind. Let's burn it down. And the, and the podcast came from the idea of how can we make it better from the inside? And mm-hmm. it, it is often a convenient thing to say, let's abandon it without caring for the people that are within it. Yeah. Um, Cause there's a lot of good people and it's not to say like there's good people on both sides. That's not what I'm saying, but right. there's a lot of folks that the SBC represents that uh, are absolutely the kind of people that are worth investing to try to make things better. It's, it's worth it. Yeah. There was a um, man years ago when I was considering a call to ministry, I was sitting in the library at the community college I went to and I was reading an essay by a guy, he said, he said, the problem with Christians is that they will look at the television and they'll see starving children, right? And they'll think, gosh, Jesus wants me to care about them. And they'll say, I care so much for those children. Like, I just, I'm getting emotional about it. Mm. And then another commercial comes on and they say, what's in the fridge and they go and have a snack. Like, and he said, that's the mm. issue. Like, like mm. the, what you just said about both sides. Like, I think that I, I, it's true that there are good people. And so, so then someone will say, Oh, that's just both sides. It's only both sides. If you don't do anything right. Yeah. You know, like it's, yeah. it's only both sides. If you refuse to act. And, right. and I think, I think like, man, if you love your denomination and your church and you're going to defend it, like don't just defend it on Twitter, like go and make it mm. better, you know, go and go yeah. and work and fight for it. Mm. That's yeah. good. All right, Keith, you're entering in the one segment that we do every time on the podcast, the non-judgment zone of joy. Yes, And I don't need to ask you for a musical influence as I sing this song. Um, because we're definitely doing Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Oh my um, goodness. The song. Yeah, that was my musical inspiration for today. When I saw that tweet, I was like, okay, I'm definitely, I'm definitely doing that. Uh, because I'm so excited about this. I think um, I'm gonna have to cover my face when you sing. Please. It's and it's gonna sound terrible. So maybe that'll make you feel better about it. Um I heard there was a little pod. Two men talking about God, and it's time to change the subject, you know. It goes like this. We talk for 40 or 50 minutes, and and then it all changes, and the weird guy sings. Composing is a battle, non-judgment zone of joy, non-judgment 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 zone of joy there we go perfect dude that was about that like significantly better than i thought it was gonna be i just thought that was gonna be a disaster that was amazing i cannot believe you pulled that off yeah that was oh yeah that was great that was fun that's the new official version of the song now i've replaced leonard cohen's version we it it is like every single time that song comes on every single person in my family like has a visceral reaction to it we're like what are they doing like why is this song here there are so many better songs that you could put in a television show 
And the best is when it's like played at a Christmas service or something like that. Yeah. And I was in Hobby Lobby. What are we doing? What are we doing? I I was in Hobby Lobby at Christmas time looking for something and they were playing it over the speakers. And I'm like, this place is like supposed to be like super pure, like, you know, no offense, no struggle, no temptation. (laughs) And, and here they are singing this song about David and Bathsheba, like bizarre to me. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So Keith, what is bringing you joy right now? Um, have, are you familiar with water talk? Do you know what water talk is on TikTok? No. So now I'm not, I'm not saying I'm, I'm into this. It's just something else, but there are these women, mostly women. And what they they're doing is they're taking all those like pre-sweetened or like pre-made drink packages and then syrup. And like, you can get like lime crystals and orange crystals and, um, and they are mixing water drinks. And I didn't know this, but like, they we've gone from like just like Capri Sun or whatever you know crystal light yeah. packets. You can get yeah. orange crush packets now. What you can get strawberry, watermelon, grape. Man, I bought I bought um, I think I've got about a hundred different packets in my bag right now. <laughs> so and I'm I, I'm drinking you know I'm trying to get a gallon of water in a day. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm loving water talk and you love it. Ocean water. You can get the Sonic ocean water packet too, which is no way flavors. Blue coconut. Awesome. My kids love ocean water. I don't know why, but they do. I had never heard of it before I I saw it. So packets and packets are, are my thing right now. Oh, Keith, that's amazing, man. Thank you for sharing that. And more importantly, thank you for the advocacy work that you're doing for survivors. We will post the link, but please subscribe. Please donate to the fundraiser and uh, and talk to your local denomination if you're SBC or to your local church and kind of work on these things. Thank you so much, Keith. Thank you. Thanks, John. y'all really enjoyed that uh that episode with pastor keith um as of the recording of this they have raised over sixteen thousand dollars to send survivors to new orleans and there's still more that we can give and donate to make sure that the folks can get there and have everything paid for so that they don't have to pay out of their own pockets Um, when you think about survivors like that who so much has been taken from them you really just want to do the best that you can uh i'm so thankful for keith for stopping by uh, and promoting this great cause. I'll link through the GoFundMe to make sure that we can give uh, if you feel something for this for from a better on the inside, folks. Um, the fundraiser is really the best place to get in touch with Keith. He'd probably be the first one to tell you that. Uh, so donate to that. Uh, I'll put links to some of the other stuff that he does, including his new Twitter profile, uh, since he's no longer uh, been banned. Well, I mean, I guess he's still banned, but he's back in a different in a different personality i don't know how you would describe it but the the robin hood man himself keith is back and so i'm so thankful that he agreed to appear on the podcast and promote such a good cause so thank you guys for checking us out if you want to join the conversation uh stop by the facebook group search better on the inside and we got a facebook group going you can keep the conversation as always if you like this episode subscribe 
rate us uh, five stars. That's a good way to get everything out there. All right, y'all. Love y'all. See you next time. Thank you.